Welcome to the Scientist Lab Talk, a special edition podcast produced by the Scientist Creative Services team, where we explore topics at the leading edge of innovative research. This episode is brought to you by Keystone Symposia. Don't miss their upcoming virtual e-symposium on research aimed at ending the tuberculosis epidemic on December 2nd through the 4th, 2020. For more information and to register, visit the Keystone Symposia webpage. One of the e-symposium speakers is David Aland, Chief of Infectious Disease and Director of the Center for Emerging Pathogens and the Center for COVID-19 Response and Pandemic Preparedness at Rutgers New Jersey Medical School. Nikki Spodge from the Scientist Creative Services team spoke with Aland about his journey to develop a rapid point-of-care tuberculosis diagnostic and his current research on mutations that lead to drug resistance. Tuberculosis, or TB, is the deadliest infectious disease across the globe. According to the CDC, almost a quarter of the world's population, about 1.7 billion people, had either active or latent TB infections in 2018. Of the 10 million newly infected people that year, 3 million did not receive proper health care, allowing the disease to continuously transmit to others. In lower-income countries, TB strikes children and people of prime working age, which can have devastating familial and economic costs. Because of its dire consequences, the call to study TB struck physician scientist David Eland early in his career. I became interested in my residency about infectious diseases, and infectious disease leads you very quickly to understanding the economics of health and the economics of diseases and the diseases of less economically developed countries. Slowly but surely, I was led down the pathway to a real interest in tuberculosis. I also had read some articles written by my future mentor, Barry Bloom, that essentially said if you understand tuberculosis, uh, you understand all of immunology, all of public health, all of microbiology, and a good part of world history. That seemed like a really good disease to study, and that really got me hooked. So I started my research work in the late 1980s, early 1990s, when the United States as a whole, but especially New York City, was going through a epidemic tuberculosis, particularly amongst the homeless and underserved people, and also in an increasingly large HIV population. In a very frightening way, we also started to see large amount of drug resistance and multi-drug resistance happening at the same time. And especially in the HIV-positive population, tuberculosis was looking like just sort of a regular infectious disease. People would come into the hospital healthy, they'd catch TB, because they were immunocompromised, they would amplify their TB in the hospital, infect other people in the hospital, often die, and then leave a population of people who would then would, within the hospital, develop tuberculosis and spread it. So an epidemic that usually takes years to develop and spread in these populations, in, in institutions, in hospitals and prisons and other congregate settings and shelters, was spreading almost like you'd expect influenza to spread. So it was a huge problem. TB is caused by the bacterium Mycobacterium tuberculosis. When inhaled, these bacteria usually target the lungs, but they can attack any part of the body, such as the kidney, spine, and brain. Patients with active TB disease typically take a six- to nine-month course of antibiotics. Sticking to this strict drug regimen is difficult, and antibiotic misuse causes the evolution of drug-resistant TB strains. Multidrug-resistant strains are resistant to the two first lines of defense, rifampicin and isoniazid. Extensively resistant TB, in which the majority of antibiotics are ineffective, is rare but on the rise. 
The World Health Organization set goals toward global TB eradication, but the effort is behind schedule. A major roadblock to the eradication of this disease is government underinvestment in TB control, research, clinical infrastructure, and general public health measures. Individuals and institutions at many levels need to join together to effectively fight this disease. One key to stopping the spread of TB is early and accurate diagnosis, so that patients can start antibiotics and isolate themselves to prevent transmission. However, until recently, diagnostic technology for TB came straight out of the 1800s. When TB was first discovered by Robert Koch, by looking at it under a microscope, soon after, people developed some stains that made it more obvious when TB was present in a clinical sample. And the acid-fast stains that were used to detect TB uh, were the primary means of diagnosis for TB for over 100 years. Up until the modern age, the microscope is still the most common way used to diagnose tuberculosis. The problem with using microscopy to detect TB is that there aren't often a lot of TB bacteria hiding in a sputum sample. Uh, And so people need to look at about 100 high-power fields to have a chance of detecting tuberculosis. And even then, there are, depending on the population, upwards of 20 to 30% of people who can have smear negative tuberculosis, where it just can't be detected under the best of circumstances. And operators get tired looking at hundreds of high-power fields a day, requires a lot of training. In a busy microscopy center, the sensitivity of microscopy can go down to 50% just because of the difficulty of doing this on a large scale. And so in the best of circumstances, you'd have not very sensitive tests. And in the worst of circumstances, you have an appalling sensitive test. A better way to identify TB in patient samples is by culturing it. But this strategy takes days, if not weeks, because mycobacterium tuberculosis grows extremely slowly. Determining if a patient has drug-resistant TB can take another two months. By delaying diagnosis, clinicians often prescribe ineffective antibiotics and lose track of patients who refuse follow-up appointments, leading to community spread of the disease. Aland realized the dire need for rapid TB testing and drug resistance analysis, so he teamed up with Fred Kramer and Sanjay Tiagi at the Public Health Research Institute to develop a better TB identification assay. They formulated a real-time PCR test using highly specific molecular beacon probes that distinguish single nucleotide differences in DNA sequences. With this approach, they targeted the TB RPOB gene and detected mutations that are associated with profampin resistance. By constructing multiple molecular beacons with different targets in the mycobacterium tuberculosis genome, they performed multiplexed assays on patient isolates that simultaneously identified TB and rifampin resistance. They identified all 75 isolates accurately by using the three-hour assay. Manually performing PCR to detect pathogens still has its problems. A lot of expertise is needed to properly set up tubes, extract DNA, and read results. After publishing the initial molecular beacon study in 1998, Allen connected with a company that was developing an automated way to process patient samples, extract nucleic acids, and run PCR, all within one cartridge. I got together with this company, Cepheid, which was a small startup company in Sunnyvale, California. I flew out there. I remember talking to my wife about whether I could afford the airplane trip. I remember staying in my sister's closet overnight uh, before I drove down to Sunnyvale to talk to them and convince them that TB was worth working on. And then we teamed up to try to to build a cartridge and a device that could process TB clinical samples, extract the DNA, amplify the DNA, use probes to detect the presence of TB and the presence of drug resistance, and all reported out automatically. The company and I in my lab, uh, we learned how to be totally open with each other, how to share the good data and the bad data, and uh, how to take risks 
And little by little, we developed this beautiful assay, which is still the gold standard that can detect TB very simply at the point of care and detect drug resistance to the drug rifampin. Together, over the course of 10 years, they developed the expert MTB RIF cartridge for sputum samples, which is used clinically all over the world and is endorsed by the World Health Organization. After its release, Aland went right back to the drawing board to improve upon the original design and develop additional cartridges that were more sensitive and could detect resistance to additional TB drugs. Now there are a whole range of cartridges that offer point-of-care testing for different infectious disease-causing agents, including methicillin-resistant Staphylococcus aureus, or MRSA, Ebola virus, and SARS-CoV-2. There have been a number of studies now showing that you can do active case finding by putting this cartridge on a truck and testing people. And that if you do this for a couple of years, you can reduce TB rates by 50%. Other studies showing that uh, detecting drug resistance by this cartridge works efficiently and increase in drug resistance detection has gone up 30, 40% in some studies. So it's been very successful in that realm. Unfortunately, tuberculosis is still a major health problem now more than 10 years later. And it's clear that having a new diagnostic assay, although helpful, really needs to occur hand in hand with improvements in health systems. Rapid diagnostics is one of the keys to slowing the TB epidemic. Detecting TB and prescribing the appropriate antibiotics for an individual's particular strain of the bacteria ensures effective treatment of the disease. Understanding mycobacterium tuberculosis itself is another important piece to the puzzle. To this end, Aland studies the complexities of TB drug resistance. We've spent a lot of time investigating drug resistance that everyone understands, that we term canonical drug resistance where TB has relatively high-level resistance. There's mutations that are consistently detected in either a drug target or a efflux pump or in a metabolizing enzyme that activates a prodrug and cause reproducible drug resistance. But there are a sea of other mutations that affect other genes within a metabolic pathway that's inhibited by a drug or that do other things that we don't completely understand that by themselves may not have a huge effect on drug resistance, but when multiple mutations start to occur, can have a large effect on drug resistance and also can complement and further worsen drug resistance when you have a canonical mutation. We discovered that TB undergoes phase variation and that TB can reversibly go from a large to small colony variant and back. And these small colonies also have subtle changes in drug resistance. Others have found an association between these phase-resistant changes and multidrug resistance. We're seeing it when we, in the laboratory, evolve a drug resistance, that phase variation is an important part of that. And so what we're discovering is that there are a lot of changes in TB that have very subtle effects on drug resistance, but they can have major effects both on clinical outcome and the ultimate development of high-level resistance as well. If typical diagnostic protocols miss a subtle change in resistance in a patient sample, the clinician may prescribe treatments that are ineffective or lead to TB relapse. A Lance team explored this issue by analyzing patient samples from a previous TB clinical trial that compared drug treatment regimens. The researchers calculated the minimum inhibitory concentration, or MIC, of TB isolates from patients who had relapsed during the trial. Many of these pre-resistant samples had isoniazid and rifampin MIC values that were in the susceptible range, meaning that a clinician would confidently prescribe those drugs to cure the infection. However, the MIC values of these isolates were higher and closer to the resistance cutoff than those from people who were cured by the drug treatment. These data indicate that drug resistance is complex and that a single resistance cutoff value does not provide enough information for a comprehensive treatment decision. For patients with pre-resistant TB, 
Drug regimens that include higher-potency drugs at higher doses could be beneficial and prevent relapse. Additionally, discovering which mutations drive drug resistance and detecting them in patient samples could change how individuals are treated in the future. Finding biomarkers, if there are just a few mutations that can predict how long someone needs to be treated for tuberculosis could be very, very useful. If there's a few pathways and a few mutations that cause these changes, that could be very useful. The underlying biology is both fascinating and important because to really design drugs that don't engender resistance, we need to know how these kinds of resistances develop. Hopefully, we can then find ways to design around them. Thank you for listening to The Scientist Lab Talk. This episode was produced by the Creative Services team for The Scientist and narrated by Nikki Spotch. And thanks again to Keystone Symposia for sponsoring this episode. To keep up to date with this podcast, follow The Scientist on Facebook and Twitter and subscribe to our podcast channel wherever you get your podcasts.